Welcome to the C3V podcast. We're kind of wrap up here. Uh, we've been in this little series of just kind of on the part, the part that you play. Um, and last and last week we saw that Jesus uh, had been in his wilderness that that we looked at um, through January, and he comes out of the wilderness and says he he goes back to Galilee, and it's a, he's in he's full of he's full of the power of the Spirit now. Back into Galilee he goes, and Galilee was known as like the most um, ethnically and culturally diverse area, but it wasn't the easiest area. Jesus just walked right in the midst of opposition of those that were against him, of those who weren't for him. Um, within four, fourteen verses, we see that Jesus only quotes a little bit of scripture, and they already want to kill him. Like things weren't the easiest, and the thing that actually ticked them off the most was that he kept talking about grace, that he kept talking about favor for everybody, that it wasn't just about a certain people group or a certain people type. He started preaching that this was a message that was for everybody. Those it was a message for those that were on the outside looking in, the ones that thought they could never be a part of something, Jesus' message was, hey, no, this is for you as well. And it's funny, I, I, I find how much grace can provoke us. It can really set us up like, hey, you shouldn't, that person shouldn't be getting grace. They shouldn't, why it's like it stirs something into us that, especially into religion, where it's like, no, but you don't understand, I've been I've been praying, why are they getting grace? I've been seeking faith. That I know that they haven't been praying, and I pray so much more. Why are you blessing him? And grace can just provoke something in us. It's so funny. And it says that Jesus came, and he, he was full of grace, and he was full of truth. And that's really the balance that we walk. You see, we love truth when it's about others, but when truth starts getting directed at us, that's when we find it a little bit harder. <laughs> and it says that Jesus um, came to the synagogue as was his custom. He got himself into church as much as he could because the kingdom of God is community. And the more that you can put yourself into the middle of community, you will find yourself in the middle of the kingdom of God. If you want to find the will of God for your life, if you're like, I don't know where I'm going, what's, what's going on, put yourself in the midst of community. Put yourself in the house every week, and I can guarantee you that the will of God will become clear to your life. Find yourself in the house. And that's why we're going to spend you know, a little bit of time, time over the next few, um, few months just really thinking about how can we help each other find God and find friends. How can we find um, the spirit of God for our life, the connection with God, the, you know, that, that, that relationship back, especially over the season that we've been in where some of us have found ourselves straying away from what we used to do. Oh, before COVID, I used to. Before this, but then I found myself alone. I found myself isolated. I found myself making bad decisions. And maybe I'm past all of that. But how can we help each other find that connection with God? And I think if we do that, if we join together to find that connection with God, then 
the byproduct of that will also be us finding friends, finding communion, finding people to walk the walk with, to do life together, to have a meal with, to have a coffee with. Whatever, whatever it is, you will find God and find friends in this house. And that is what we are aiming for. We looked at it, but it's the same spirit that can hide us, that can also reveal himself. And we looked at the verse in Isaiah, and it says, In the shadow of his hand he hid me, but it's in that hiding that he made me a poet's arrow. In the hiding he made me. See, God, God can hide us away for a thief season. And sometimes we need it to avoid all that's going on over this side. And he says, you know what? You don't need to open up your mouth. But, but too, I think he can hide us away. Because sometimes we need to work through some stuff. And it's best not to do that in front of everybody. So God says, I'm going to pop you over here. I'm going to work on some things. I'm going to hide you away. But while I'm hiding you away, I'm also making you into it's not just hiding away, putting you up on the top shelf in the back corner and forgetting about you. He's hiding you away, hiding you away to make you into something. And we looked at, you know, the pro process of having a aim like an arrow and they get rid of all the all the obvious imperfections first. And that is so what God does, does with us. And then he sands it down and gets rid of all the subtle, the subtle imperfections. And then he puts vessels on you to make sure that they just can stay stable. And you can stay balanced as you're flying through the air, hit your mark. And then the final thing they do is they put a name on it and they say, this is mine. This is what I have made. This is who I have created. And God stamps our life and says, this is what I've made for this purpose. But it's his anointing. It's he the anointing that reveals, and the tricky part is in his timing. And I think the only part of that is that we need to make sure that we are actually. So don't don't resent the journey. Enjoy it. Uh, I said a long time. It's not the wrong way. It's the long way. And sometimes you just need to take the scenic way to get to where you're going. And the highway tends to be straight and fast. But what I've found is when you accidentally get onto that scenic route on the way somewhere, uh, it's full of twists and turns and ups and downs and bends and around and stop and little stops along the way. But sometimes that's just the journey God takes us on. He said, I'm just going to take you on this journey along. It's going to be longer and it's going to be slower, but enjoy the journey as you go. And Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me too. That's really what I look at today, the too. God God just didn't, uh, the Spirit of the Lord wasn't just upon him and he wasn't just anointed. The Spirit was upon him and he was anointed to do something. There was a purpose behind it. There was a part that he had to play. It wasn't just so Jesus could always heal great miracles. It wasn't just so Jesus would have a great vibe with God. Uh, Here I get lost in, I get lost in worship. I get lost. God doesn't want you lost anywhere. (laughs) He's saying, no, there is a purpose to this. There is a part that you play. I'm giving you spirit. I'm giving you anointing. 
suppose there is a two. There's a two. So Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's it says, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And in the greatest mind mic drop in the history of, of mankind, Jesus just said to them, and today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus just had to say this to him because the synagogue really had lost its relevance um, to every day. They were concerned, more concerned about the cultivation of mind and soul through like study and Bible. And you see, we can come together to improve ourselves, to um, to learn, to grow, to think. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is the end product, then there is something wrong with that. If all of a sudden it just comes about how this affects me what I'm getting out of it, what I'm learning, how I, me, I, you, it's all me, everything me, what I'm learning, how it's affecting me, what it is. If that's, if that's the point, then we've missed the point. And they, and they totally miss the point because they, they basically get onto Jesus and say, look, you're talking about all the wrong people to you. Like you're meant to be just here for us. This is, this is our time to shine. This is our people group. We are totally coming, we're coming back. This is, this, this, this is our comeback story. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, yeah, but what about the Gentiles? What about, and, and over in verse um, 25 here of chapter 4, Jesus just asks them, look, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then he gives them a whole bunch of reasons. He says, look, Elijah and Zephaniah, uh, there were letters and only Naaman and all these things. You look into those stories, you realize he's not talk, talking about Jewish people. Straight away, he's upsetting them. Because he's saying, yeah, the Gentiles have a place in this. You know, Naaman, it's like the enemy has a place in the kingdom. And they're like, whoa, stop talking about all these people. Like, it's all the wrong people. And this is what the temple had become, where it was all about me. It's all about me. It was just uh, how this affects me was the only thing that was important to them. And Jesus came and basically was saying, look, the temp- temple here, it's past its fruit- fruitfulness. Like what it was designed to do, it's not doing anymore. And Jesus came just to prove the point that God was now busting out of this synagogue. He was busting out of the temple. He was now God out walking Amongst them. This was God now eating amongst the people. This was God teaching the people. This was God healing the people. This, this, this was God once again, like way back in the book of Genesis, this was God once again dwelling with his creation. And we see now that the presence of God, that the Spirit of God is moving. It's not just located in one spot. Before that, it was like if I wanted the presence of God, I had to go find. I had to go to a spot. I had to go to 
life, we start to see that something new was happening, that God was dwelling amongst his people, that heaven was starting to break out. And, and unlike times in the past, this wasn't just God, God's spirit passing by, you know, go up on the mountain and I will pass by, or we see in the Old Testament, the spirit came, but then the spirit would lift. This isn't, this isn't that anymore. This is a brand new declaration. Jesus' life was a declaration that the old temple was in the past and that Jesus is the new temple, that Jesus is the place of sacrifice, that Jesus is the place where heaven and earth join together and become one, that Jesus is the place of atonement. And Hebrews goes through and explains with this that that Jesus is the temple, and because we identify with Jesus, we become the temple, that we become the place where God's spirit can dwell. In 1, in 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, that God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You see, his presence still dwells in temples. His, his spirit can still be found in temples. It's just that you are that tem- temple now. The physical temple was being replaced with a spiritual temple. You see, at the, at, at the um, transfiguration thing, when the spirit met, when Jesus just turned white, and it was like the defining moment, where Jesus just was basically fully revealed as God, Peter said, hey, let's, let's put up a tent. Let's build a place here. Let's, let's try and capture the Spirit of God here, and keep it. Let's build a place. And I think sometimes that's how we feel, especially in light of um, the past few weeks when we've seen the things that, that have happened in Ashdown, and it's just a beautiful, sovereign move of God. But we can think now, oh, if we can just replicate that, then God will come where we are. If we just you know, but it's not, it's never a method that captures the presence of God. It's not that one day, maybe in an 80, when we finally have the right number of people, we've got the right mix of men and women and children, and we do the right songs and we hit the right notes and we pray the right prayers, then God will move. If we just stay long enough, then He will move. It's like we're kind of boxing God in and saying, well, if I do all my steps, then surely you will move. But God isn't one to be captured. One isn't, one isn't, I put here, that we need, we can think that we need to capture the presence of God. If we just do this, or if it's a place that we have to go. But I want to tell you this morning that the presence of God is in you. That you are that that wherever you go and wherever you are is where God can be. Whether you're on the bus, God can be there with you. Whether you're on the sky train, whether it's school or work, wherever it is, on a mountaintop in a valley, wherever it is, God can be with you because you are a temple. You are the place where His Spirit dwells. Ephesians uh, 2.20 says it like this, In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So now, if people want to visit God, if people want to find the place where God is, 
All they need to do is sit next to you. That's it. That, then they can find it. So Jesus stood up in the synagogue, and he started to talk about God in the present tense. And really, that made them just uncomfortable. See, it's way more comfortable to study about the God of old. Oh, in the past, God did this. I can study church history. Oh, yeah, well, God moved like that. We can get way, it's way more comfortable to do that. And we study things like church history. We study theology. We study about a God of the past. Of, of the past. It's much riskier to open your heart to God each day, to listen and to ask, Lord, what are you telling me today? God, what's the part that I can play today? What's the part I can play at church? What are you asking me to do? When we start to pull God into the here and the now, not just the God of the past, not just the God of your parents, not just the God of your grandparents, not just the God of your family, like where is the God of now for you? As we start to ask him those questions, it plunges us right into the now which is the dimension that Jesus introduces here. He introduces to them that God is now, not in the past. He's the God of the past. He's the God of the future, but he's also the God of right now, right here where we stand. You see, if God is not here and now, or let me put it this way, if we only have the God of history or the God of the future, then we don't have a God here today. There's a, there's a little pub down in Florida, and they have a sign above the beer, above the bar, that says this, free beer tomorrow. Because if something is always tomorrow, it's, it's, it's never, ever. And that's how we can say, well, if he's just the God of your tomorrow, then you'll never find the God of now. That you'll never actually get to tomorrow. We can never actually get into tomorrow. Tomorrow's only a day away. But it plunges us right into the middle. And so Jesus starts to read read from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And the words pictured, they were, they were, they were about the deliverance of, of, um, of Israel from exile in Babylon. As a year, a year of jubilee when, when all the debts would be cancelled, when all the slaves were freed, when, when all the property was returned to the original owners. This is a this, that, that was like, this is our moment. When we get back, oh baby, we are back. And we're going to have everything restored to us. And we are going to be free. And we're going to be, it's going to be amazing. But when they were finally released from Babylon, none of that was actually fulfilled. And especially not how they expected. And they were still a conquered and oppressed people. And Jesus starts to say, no, no, you've got to understand that I'm here, that right here in the now, I can free you from exile. I can, find, I, I can free, free you from the things that are holding you back. And I feel like that kind of moment is somewhere where some of us can get stuck, that we think that God is going to answer us a certain way. That God, I've, I've prayed for this for years. I, I, I want to see you move. Emma, I want to see you break through. I want to see you do this. And then God does move in a way, but it's not how we expect. 
I think that has been sent so many places. I know friend, friends of mine who've been, because it's to exile. Yes, you can be sent to exile, but there's also a self-exile. And I feel like some people have put themselves into a self-exile when, when they've been disappointed or they've been, or they've been let down, perceived or let down by God. God, you didn't come through like how I thought you would. You didn't answer how I did. Look at them. They're getting promoted and I'm getting overlooked. And we put ourselves in the exile. We just we just put ourselves over here and we say, and then and then the problem with exile is, is you feel like then you've gone too far. Oh, now I've done too much. Now I don't know if if I could ever go back. I've put myself out here. I've exiled myself. I've I've made sacrifices that have put me on the outer. How can I ever? But the thing about exile is that exile like Ruth prayed for before, the prodigals can come home. That no matter the decisions and the circumstances that you've made, and sometimes when you put yourself out there, you look like a fool coming back. And that and that alone can stop you there. Your pride, you know, how's this going to make me look? I look, you know, now it's going to look like I made the wrong decision. Now it's going to look like I didn't steer right. Well, so be it. But come home. Come back from exile. Return yourself back to the house. Come back in, whether you look good, bad, or indifferent. I can guarantee you that most people will just be glad that you're back. They're not going to be looking at the decisions that you made, thinking, oh, I know six months ago. Like, just, so what? So what? I would rather be made a fool and find myself in the presence of God than be exiled and no hope. So come home. And Jesus said, this is, what, this is one of the things I'm here to do. I'm here to help bring you home. I'm here to help you restore you back into what you were. I'm, I'm here to restore back the promises and the future and the hope that was over your life, the things that have been prayed over your life that look like they're too far and too much. I am here. This is what I do. Jesus is saying, this is what I do. I come into circumstances and I help bring you home and then I help fulfill the promises that are on your life. And Jesus says too, like I'm here to, to, to sight to the blind. Like Jesus says that, I'm here to heal you. I love that he, he highlights sight to the blind. And because of our need to kind of think that we need, that it's a method or it's a way. But every time that Jesus healed someone from blindness, it was a different way. Some he just touched, some he prayed, some he spat in dirt. Like, it was always a different method, a method to it. Because he is just a healer, and he is just here for you. Whatever the way, whatever the steps that need to do it, he's willing to go down that road and walk with us to it. He's here to heal us. But then also, too, there's sight to the blind. Is sight to the blind vision only, or is it to restore your vision? To restore what you feel like has been lost, that you can't see past a certain obstacle, that you can't see a future for yourself, that I can't see what is next for me. Jesus says, well, that, I'm that same God that can help you restore sight. I think of Moses, and it says, when Moses stood on the edge of the promised land, because he was never allowed to see it, and it says that the Lord took him. You know, Moses wasn't, he didn't just like naturally uh, talk and he was deaf. It says the Lord took him. And the sad thing is, he died full of sight, but with no vision. And I think 
Jesus is coming to say, no, I can help you get past that. I can help you see what is in the promised land. Let me help you, me restore your vision to get you into the promised land. And Jesus also says, yeah, and I'm here to, because this is the year of, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love that that year there we can go, well, you just get one. You just got one year here. You got one good year in you. Don't, don't mess it up. No, that's not what that word is. That, that year right there is God declaring that you have a lifetime of faithfulness. That now you're moving into a new season, a season where God is favoring you. It, all, it, it, it basically means, if you start pulling it out, it means this, that God is here to redeem you. That God is to pull you out of where you were, the circumstances that have been holding you back, the things that, that, that have kept you on the outside. He's saying, no, now is a season of redemption. And it's not just it's not just a moment. It's a lifetime of redemption. You know, I say it all the time that God doesn't re-cycle, He redeems. He doesn't look at you and say, well, you messed up your primary purposes, so now I've got to try and reform you and remold you into something different and give you a secondary purpose. That's not what He does. God doesn't re-cycle. He redeems. And he says, yeah, I called you and I anointed you and the Spirit of the Lord is on you for a two and that two still remains. So let's get you back up. Let's dust you back off. Let's get you back on your way because I redeem. I don't recycle. And they pictured, you know, they had this picture that the Messiah would come and conquer Rome and lift them up and whatever. But Jesus said, no, I came, I'm coming to help you conquer Sin, the sin that has caused your captivity and the oppression in the first place. And ultimately, Jesus is just saying, I want to restore you to wholeness. That's why it's like healing, sight, and vision, and favor. I want you to be whole. I, I want you to be, um, function in a wholeness that only I can provide. It's not from itself, it's only what the Spirit can do. That completeness. That is, it says Jesus was concerned for both the spiritual restoration of people and their actual physical needs. And Jesus said today, today this scripture is fulfilled. Because the Bible is full of just now. But now is the time. But right here, right now, today can be your now. Where you might you might be watching this on the bus. Right where you sit can be your now. Right now can be the defining point when things change. Now can be the breakthrough moment. Now can be when you get healed. Now can be when when your vision is restored. Now can be when you feel the presence of God for the first time. Now can be the time when you start to pray again. Now can be the time when you start to worship again. Now can be the time when you start to give again. Whatever it is, now is the perfect time for God to move. Right now. And when Jesus just spoke those words, he was proclaiming himself as the one who would bring this good news to pass. He was the anointed one. He was the king in the line of David. The king who the promises of David would be filled. And Jesus and Jesus had come to evangelize to the poor proclaim freedom, give sight to the blind, repeat and, and release the oppressed, 
And their answer to Jesus saying all that was this, who do you think you are? And I think, man, sometimes that's what happens right The anointing will start to fall on someone. Someone's gift will start to come out. And we can so easily go, who do you think you are? Who do you? Because we're just so like, we get so, or, or what is it? Like, what are your credentials to be asked? You know, they said to Jesus, like, aren't you, aren't you a carpenter, son? Aren't you, are you a carpenter or are you God? And Jesus said, yes. Yes, I am. And, and, our, and our world, our generation is so, it's like that. Are you this or are you that? It's polarized. It's like black or white. You, are you white? You're a you're a banker and a prophet. Yes. You're a you work on a, a building site and and you say that you're like a, can you pray? Yes. Like what? Are you, are are you this? Are you that? And that's what they're saying to Jesus. Like like if you're a carpenter, then how can you be God? Like what are your credentials? Who says that you can do what you're saying that you can do? And ultimately, it's this. It's because the anointing. The anointing is, is your credentials. The anointing is the card that you can pull out and say, this is what it is. Like they were, it's funny because they were saying, but aren't you Joseph's son? <laughs> and that's how the world is. We just look at the outside. Isn't that all you are? Like, uh, isn't that your life story? Isn't that what happened? Didn't, didn't you have that happen to you? Didn't that go, I can say, like, aren't you this? Aren't you? But it's funny, it's funny that why they looked at the outside. If you look over, it goes, like, into the next part. And Jesus heals a man with an unclean, an unclean demon. And the demon says this, we know who you are. <laughs> man saying, Aren't you just the carpenter's son? Aren't you just the son of God? And the demon saying, we know that you're God. It's funny that the people in the temple couldn't recognize God when he's standing in front of them. I put it like this. It's like, God knows what he's called you to be. The enemy identifies what he's called you to be. People, people are just labels. And we love to label all you. Oh, they're just the next. Or we start to elevate gifts above. Or we start to put it out. We start to say, oh, yeah, they're the next. They're this. Oh, they can work it, so they're higher than someone who sets out to. And we start to balance out all these gifts. But this is why it's so important that I want to say that, that or even this. That's why God looks at the that's why God bypasses the outside. That's why God skips over the storms, skips over the links, skips over the scars, and looks at the heart. And our whole wilderness journey that we did, you know, that really just dealt with the heart because it builds in you an ability to say, it doesn't matter who you say I am, I know who I am. It doesn't matter what you say that I am, I know who has called me. 
doesn't matter what you define me as, I know the credentials that God has given me. He's anointed me. He's called me. And He has anointed me too. That's why we've been saying through this whole thing, you're not a volunteer. You're a minister. Because your gifts are needed. doesn't matter what people are calling you. Your gifts are needed. Your talents are needed. Your uniqueness is needed. The w- your flaws are needed. Your scars are needed. Your victories are needed. And I think we have to be comfortable enough to say it like this, that God, if this is how you made, made me, then this is how you can reach me. Not that we have to try and get, reach this level before God can use you. God can use you today. I don't know if you've ever sat around someone who was an evangelist that didn't have discipleship. Who just, you met them and you know them and all they do is lead people to Jesus. Like we don't have to get to a place where we have a title before you can function. Or you've sat around someone who is, who's pathetic and just constantly talked into a situation that you belong to. And oh, totally sees things a different way, calls things as if they are, as if they were a but they look into it, and they are just living a prophetic life. You don't need the title of prophet before you can be prophetic. Or maybe you've been around someone who's just solely pastoral. You know that when something's going on, they are they are there for you. That you could pick up the phone and you could call them. Like we've got to be able to function and move as as a minister of God without waiting for a title or it to be in a place. The nows of God are right now. Where you are. And where you're at, God can use you. So to wrap up today, really I'm going to end with this question. It says, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me too. So my question for you today is, what's your two? What's your two? What is God calling you to do? What, what has He anointed you to, to do? What is, he, what, what is that thing? What is it? And I think I think me asking the question automatically provokes in you an answer. Some of you may not like like to say the answer out loud. You might like to sit it down still. But there's a two. And I want to encourage you today to step into that two. To fan the flame of that two. Whatever that gift is inside of you that you know that God's given. It's unique to you. It's what you find yourself doing. It doesn't have to be all up here on a stage in the light. It's being understated and faithful to your call. It's just saying, saying, God, come into my now. Whatever you need me to do today, however my gift, however my function, however my, my calling, my anointing can serve you today, I give it to you. And God, just create opportunities so my two can come into it. And maybe you need to stir it back up. Maybe you've had it hidden, or maybe you think you're too far gone, or you've been in the exile, or whatever whatever it may be. I want to challenge you this morning to think about your two. What is the two that God has given you? Because there is a purpose to it. There is a plan for it. And that's why we're saying there's a part that you play. This, this, this community that we call CC3B, Van Vancouver will be built on the gifts, the calling, the anointing of you. 
and others and bands and however we function, but we will come together. We'll find ourselves joining together because there's a part that you need to play. What's your piece? What is your piece? Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.